श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय ग्रंथराज श्रीमद् भागवतम की जय ओ प्रेमानंदे सो गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन evening we are continuing our discussing discussion of Srimad Bhagavatam fifth chapter of the first canto this chapter Narada has made his appearance and he is enlightening Vyas as to the cause of Vyas's despondency and the remedy for that So, at this point in the text, Nard is really in in the middle of that, um, imparting his instructions. We've heard how he appeared on the scene based on the necessity of Vyas, how necessity is the mother of invention, and a need of the spiritual nature is not a bad thing. Hmm? It is the uh, really the almost synonymous with the solution. So that spiritual necessity uh, is is not to be weak, but it's to be strong. Actually, so we see how Narada corresponds his appearance, his instruction with the necessity of Vyas, Guru, and uh, disciple. Can have one. Without the other, so so Nard here now has, yet as of our last discussion, he glorified the words that are filled with glorification of Bhagavan, and by contrast, he did not speak highly of those words that were devoid of such. Glorification. These are very important verses, as is tonight's verse. We are having spoken about words that, in composition, if you will, however perfectly composed, and there are many perfect compositions of of, of the time, and of course today as well. Um, however well composed, if they are not filled with glorification of Bhagavan, they're worthless. He he described them as a place of pilgrimage, if you will, uh, for crows, as which is basically the crows gather at the garbage bin and they um, sort through the, the refuse of others. So this is basically material life. We are hankering to buy the house that somebody is dying to get rid of. We're all living on hand-me-downs. So the idea of living on Krishna's hand-me-downs is not such a bad idea. <laughs> it's uh, it's not so um, extraordinary. This, of course, as I've mentioned a number of times, was the conviction of Uddhava. I will wear only the vestments of Krishna. This is my renunciation. Hmm? He's, of course, making small of the show of renunciation on the part of the the gyanis, the, the, the tapasvis, dressed in ashes, who overtly look quite uh, uh, otherworldly. I should say, not of this world. Whether they're otherworldly is another thing, but not of this world. And he, on the other hand, Uddhava is dressed in the vestments of Krishna, which were, of course, princely in the Dwarka Leela, and so forth. What he wants to say in that connection, of course, as an aside here, is that in bhakti, we're not concerned with renunciation. We're concerned with loving Krishna. And if in the context of loving Krishna, some things are to be given up, we give them up. If some things to be are, are to be accepted and enjoyed, uh, we accept them. <clears throat> so our renunciation, he said, if you will, with regard to uh, dress, will be we'll only wear the clothes of Krishna, his hand-me-downs. Very nice idea. You can imagine how much in love he was with Krishna to feel like this. <clears throat> so, at any rate, 
point being that in this material world we're all wearing hand-me-downs, we're all more or less uh, materials are being used and reused and recycled and used and puna punas charvita charvananam. In the language of Prahlad, he said, it is nothing but chewing the chewed. This is how he described material life. So, again, to chew on Krishna's remnants is, uh, is not a bad idea. Everybody's chewing on somebody's remnants. We've chosen Krishna. That is uh, a, wise, a wise choice. So he says, the rejected refuse... This is the place of pilgrimage of crows, and that language, however language, however perfectly composed, however beautiful it is otherwise, if it is not filled with glorification, if it doesn't contain glorification of Bhagavan, it's useless. On the other hand, he said, of course, that literature, even if it is imperfectly composed, but it is filled with glorification of Bhagavan, this is a, a, another composition altogether. This is otherworldly. And uh, this is likened then to a place of pilgrimage for swans. So having said this to Vyasa about the nature of composition, which of course Vyasa is very much engaged in as a compiler, Vyasa means compiler, compiler of the Vedic wisdom, uh, said to be um, uh, in present in oral form, uh, previously to Vyasa's great uh, work with the help of others. Working under his direction, he compiled and composed the, uh, this voluminous and most voluminous body of literature on earth, which constitutes the earliest form of, uh, of revelation long before the Christian um, revelation, the Upanishads were there. And then the theology of Vedanta to make sense out of it, and so forth, this is the earliest form of then of really theology or a systematic attempt to make sense out of revelation. Hmm. So he was a co- composer, <laughs> and uh, and Nard weighing in on the nature of composition, he says. Its value will be determined by the measure, by the extent to which it contains glorification of Krishna. And even if it's imperfectly composed by other standards, if that glorification of Krishna is there, it has merit, it has power, it is. It uh, it can bring about a change in the lives of the readers. And as we mentioned earlier today, we need a change. We very much need... Uh, to change. This is uh, revelation begins with the great Om. It's an affirmation. It more or less says to us, it's an, it's an answer that more or less replies to the question that humanity constitutes. Human life constitutes a question: Why am I? What am I? Is there meaning? How questions are another thing. Uh, for less complex forms of life, but the why question is for humans. It arises in human life, in human consciousness. Why? Purpose. Hmm. Seeking purpose, meaning, and so forth. And uh, is there more than what meets the eye as we sense, if you will, <laughs> there is in human life and try to pursue it, we try to pursue material life in all respects we we try to do things that that consciousness and other forms of life does not try to do limited by their particular vehicle as i've often said the birds don't try to fly high in the sky and the fish did i get that right the birds don't try to dive deep in the ocean and the fish don't try to fly high in the sky hmm? but we try both and more we try to do what every species does because there's a sense within us that 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 we sh- we shouldn't be limited, mm. and we're right about that. Mm. The self is coming to the fore, and it's not limited by any material condition. Mm. But we don't recognize that exactly that that's what's happening, and how to go about experiencing the freedom that we are, if you will. Mm. 
And so, in a, in a rather, um, in, in a way that's quite counterproductive, so to speak, by trying to conquer nature, to control nature, and I mean, we we try to fly high in the sky. And we do, you know, we go pretty high and pretty far, but it's never going to be as beautiful as a bird. <laughs> You'll never make a plane that can that can make those kind of turns and spins and. And so there are only there are only imitations, <clears throat> and as fly as high as we fly, of course, then the, the the sense of freedom that we are, we are a unit of freedom, is not fully experienced. So there's another way of going about that. And while this, the, the revelation begins with Om as an affirmation and an answer, a positive yes, what you sense in human life, you can be, you can. Then it follows revelation by many other statements, but here's how to do that. You have to change the way you're looking at it. You have to change your angle of vision. That's more difficult than flying high in the sky <laughs> or going to the bottom of the ocean. That's very difficult. We're accustomed. Our angle of vision is to see things as subordinate to ourselves and ourselves as the subject matter as the object. There's some truth to that. Hmm? No doubt. We're the subjective component as consciousness and matter is the objective component. Component. It has meaning in connection with us. Hmm? I've often said if matter mattered independently of consciousness, who would know about it? Who would care? Hmm? So consciousness is the knower, the carer, and by lending itself to matter, matter takes on life, so to speak. But that lending of ourself to matter that animates matter tends to make ourself inanimate in comparison to what we really are. We become atrophied. We become like water frozen over. So what you can do with ice and what you can do with water is quite a, a difference there. Um, so, the, the, we have to change. So what is the change? Change the angle of vision. What is the angle of vision? Yes, matter is the object. I'm the subject. But when I, when I look down, but that's not the whole picture. I have to look up also. And when I look up, even when I look at myself, I see, yes, I am superior to matter and that I, by lending myself to matter, it takes on meaning. I am meaning, in other words. Hmm? Nonetheless, I find myself in a situation where for all intents and purposes, matter has taken precedence over me. Hmm? The sense that I am meaning itself, the sense that I am free to freedom, a unit of freedom, is... Um, just beyond my grasp. Matter has taken precedence over me, although I'm superior to matter. So a careful examination of ourselves as a unit of consciousness tells us that I'm superior to matter is not the whole picture. I'm superior to matter potentially, but I am also potentially such that I may find myself for all intents and purposes under the influence of matter, inferior to matter, ruled by matter. This is Veda Ved. Philosophy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so then, if we look deeply into consciousness of which we are uh, a unit, we find the source. We are the circumference, the center, the source. It uh, cannot come under the influence of matter. The rays of the sun as we know, may come under the cloud. But if you fly above the clouds, you find their source is always shining. Hmm? So, in relation then to the source, what is our position? This is that gives us the whole picture. What am I in relation to matter? I'm subject, matter is object, but in relation to my source, which is also subject, in the language of Pujapad Marsh super-subject. So the super-subjective reality. In relation to that, I'm like an object. 
I'm like a thing comparatively. I have meaning as much as it lends itself to me. Unless it's the source pays attention to me, do I have meaning? So, again, this is a, this is a Ved, the Veda Ved philosophy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is what Nard is uh, bringing uh, Vyas to here in in these uh, discussions, in in this discussion, and uh, so he has um, stressed to him that uh, with regard to your composition, the measure, the extent to which it glorifies Bhagwan, hmm, is the extent to which it's um, it's meaningful in, in a real sense for yourself and in human society um, and the extent to which it's not then use a strong language it's uh, it's a waste of time hmm? so from words now in this verse he goes to action hmm? and um, as much as words uh, composition not engaged in the glorification of Bhagawan are useless similarly action that is not um, that doesn't constitute glorification of Bhagawan this is a waste of time this is like going up the down escalator or or trying to this is like moving in quicksand you need a Tarzan that's just <laughs> the idea of Srimad Bhagavatam Nard is basically saying, you need a Tarzan with regard to movement. If that movement is not in glorification of Bhagavan, it's faulty. Hmm? So, this is the third, then, of three verses that are obviously very important here in Srimad Bhagavatam because not only do they appear here, in Vyasa's instruction to Nard, which is, which is one of the first kind of speakings of the Bhagavatam, we call it sometimes Nard Bhagavatam. Nard is enlightening Vyas as to the essence of of Bhagwan and uh, Bhakti, which is what Bhagavatam is about. Not only do they appear here, but they appear again also at the end of this great uh, tome, Srimad Bhagavatam, the twelfth canto, twelfth chapter. Hmm. Uh, the, the same verses, maybe a slight adjustment, one or two words appear again. So this is to emphasize Chakrabati Vishwanath, the venerable um, uh, Acharya and commentator on Srimad Bhagavatam, has said, just as the bija, the seed, is often proceeds, precedes and follows the mantram. You may say, Om, the mantram, Om, Again, often it's said like this. So it's, uh, as the bij, om is a bij, kling is a bij, shreem is a bij, and so forth. As the bij prefaces the mantra and often follows the mantra, so these verses preface and follow. This is the beginning, really, the inception of Srimad Bhagavatam here, these chapters. The story, the great story of the Bhagavatam itself is, a, is, is we're in the context of it being told the story of how Vyas came to write the Bhagavatam is being told. Um, Narad's own story is being told by himself. Mm-hmm. This is all a preface, this first canto, um, the narration of, 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 of Sutta Goswami to the sages and so forth, all these stories within stories, leading to the second canto, which begins with Sugadev speaking of the Bhagavatam. Sutta was present for that, so this is all a preface to that. This is the beginning of the Bhagavatam. So in the beginning, the Bhagavatam is prefaced by these verses. And in the end, it's concluded largely with these verses as well. There are, like in the Gita, there are, there are several beginnings and several endings. This is one of the beginnings and one of the endings. Close to the beginning, close to the end. So they're important verses. They say much to us. They say speech and composition, writing and so forth. It is not uh, centered on the glorification of Bhagawan and Bhakti. That's a waste of time. And action, we come to that today. He says what? He says that 
naishkarmyam api chuta bhava bhajitam na shobate gyanamadam niranjanam kutop puna shashvat abhadram ishvare na charpitam karma kedapi akaranam naishkarmyam api achuto bhava bhajitam na shobate so here he he's speaking about gyan and karma so action action should be such that it leads to knowledge at which time action is ceases so to speak or it starts again but it's in well informed action and knowledge these are the two tracks if you will that material life runs on in as much as action is the pursuit of in this world enjoyment and that in relation to things and things don't satisfy us that's knowledge so we reject them boga and tyaga taking and renouncing now at the same time these are the two tracks our life runs on there are systematic paths for acquiring for pursuing the boga the enjoyment of things and there is a systematic path for pursuing the fact that things aren't the best things in life <laughs> they disappoint us hmm? but these two paths as we've as we hear repeatedly and it's 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 important to to repeat this message unto themselves they more or less keep us in material existence they keep us focused on taking from the world or getting away from the world they're worldly centered hmm? therefore unto themselves karma obviously cannot lead to to liberation hmm? and the important message here is that's kind of an obvious in other words acquiring things and an attachment to them which defines us materially hmm? that identity that personage is false it's here today and gone tomorrow just as the things are it is a thing so to speak it's defined by material emotional mental sense of self by attachment to things it is a thing that's a hard thing to grasp <laughs> um <laughs> uh but it's a fact um so it's fairly obvious it doesn't take a lot uh to to make uh, to make this point to to convince a person this was uh the the idea of the buddha that attachment to things is uh, the cause of suffering thirst trishna is of course is the cause of dukkha krishna says it in the gita in another way says dukkha yonaya evate that uh attachment to things is the is the womb from which sorrow takes birth it's very beautiful hmm? womb that gives birth to sorrow this is something that is that is that is verifiable by each and every person it is it is more or less speaking about the experience of every person in a way that they perhaps have not stopped to reflect on their experience and thought about it it doesn't require a faith to believe in this it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a kind of a speaking about the nature of being in material existence it would be not hard to convince someone of this it is their experience now that being the case that attachment to things the pursuit of things here the verse says that kutapuna shashvad abadramishvore nacharpitam karma hidapi akaranam this attachment to things this pursuit of things bhagavatam here says kuna kutapuna shashvad abadram it is painful from beginning to end this is basically material life the pain of acquiring is the beginning you have the desire so it's painful you want something now you have to move in order to get it you have to think you have to move some struggle 
So then there's then the, the pain of acquisition, and then upon acquiring, the pain doesn't go away. You struggled hard to get something, now you have it, now you have to make sure nobody else takes it from you, <laughs> or that you don't lose it, it doesn't fall through your, 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 your grip, and it will, inevitably. Obviously, you've struggled hard to get it, but it will disappear. Someone will take it, but by its own, by the very nature of, of the world, it will transform. Hmm? It doesn't belong to you. We like the redwoods here, be- big, beautiful trees, especially if you go down into the valley hmm? and see the big, big old growth, and you think how long they've been standing, how many people have laid claim on the land. They've watched 2,000 years. Hmm? Somebody owns it, another person says they own it, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So, Bhagavatam is saying here, this kind of action for acquisition, it is painful from beginning to end. He's saying it doesn't take a lot of brains to figure this out. Hmm? The Buddha is thought to be the, the incarnation of the wisdom of Bhagavan, huh? in a sense. The wise one, Buddha means wisdom. So this was his wisdom, at least that's what he said, as much as he said, that attachment, thirst for things is the cause of suffering. This is really a simple truth, but in this world, it's huge. It's like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's considered to be, you know, you'd be a Buddha if you, if you knew that, if you, if you really knew it, in other words, if you applied yourself in relation to that. Hmm? But but while this is kind of really basic to the Bhagavatam, very basic to the Bhagavad Gita, you see how high these texts go in comparison to this, where the Buddha left off, then Bhagavatam and the Gita, even for that matter, is, is, is going so high in comparison. They will run equally, if not better, in their explanation on the nature of our material experience they could shed light on it, our our experience, in a way that we, you know, we were not able to look at it ourselves, being absorbed in it. But when we hear it, we understand. Yes, that is my experience. Hmm? That's why I say the Bhagavad Gita, for example, is not really a book about believing. It's about the nature of being, and as the nature of being in our material condition is revealed to us through hearing, and it's confirmed then by our own experience, then the theology of the Gita, it's a philosophical and a theological book, that Krishna is the personality of God, for example, that's, you can get some faith in that. You can believe in that. You can have some... Uh, it's not, it's, a, it's a, not a blind faith, in other words. This is a well-reasoned reasoned, uh, uh, kind of uh, faith that... Uh, derived from the fact that the speaker of the Gita has shown me something about my own experience that I couldn't see that was like the nose on my face. And it's profound. I was experiencing it every day, but I wasn't able to think about it and put it together and see how much suffering it's caused me. I can end all suffering by this. Now, he's saying more than that also, about himself and about bhakti and so forth, but we tend to believe in that. <laughs> We tend to believe that, that what has been revealed uh, is so profound that the revelation he speaks about hmm, will be realized. And of course, we get a glimpse of that also to the extent, measure to which we apply ourselves in relation to the philosophy that's been given as to the nature of our material predicament. As we apply ourselves readily hmm, and the experience, the heart becomes cleansed sufficiently that there's room for Bhagavan to take his seat there and us to experience him and all the truths. The theological person of the Gita becomes a real person. And the person is more real than you hmm? in terms of your material personality. Hmm? That personality is just a thing, as I said, here today and gone tomorrow. Now we think of Krishna as a theological person. Maybe we should believe in him, maybe not. We haven't seen him. It's an old book. He doesn't dress like people of today. He looks a little differently. It's kind of a mythological, kind of a 
We don't have any experience. Yes, exactly. We don't have any experience of a person like that, of a form like that. That's why sometimes he's described in the scriptures as being formless, which means his form is nothing like material forms that are here today, today and gone tomorrow. Nothing like that. Entirely different. Some similarity in appearance, but very different. All altogether different in substance. It is a form of sat, the form of chit, and especially it is a form of ananda, ananda taking shape. So here the wonderful thing, the, the powerful point that Vyasa is making is while material life, the general course of pursuing a life based on and an identity based on material attachment by acquisition is a folly. Hmm? It's painful, really, if we look at it carefully from beginning to end. He uses a kind of a there's a there's a Sanskrit term for it, I forget it now. It's a type of logic. It's a what to speak of. I always try to figure that out. Whether is it not to speak or what to speak? Is there actually an English phrase like that? Maybe you can help us with that. Probably used to use it. It's actually a kind of a Sanskrit logic, the what to speak of logic. <laughs> In other words, if this is true for this, what to speak of that? Hmm? How much more so that? So the verse here is saying that that we know readily that the life of material acquisition, that type of action is painful from beginning to end. That is meaningless. That's as useless as as compositions and words and song that have nothing to do with Bhagavan. It's a total dead end. It's a meaningless life. There's no ananda in it. It's only dukkha. And ananda is the meaning of life. Ananda is the purpose of life. It's a kind of a no-purpose purpose because ananda, joy, love, it means, knows no reason. So the meaning of life transcends reason. The meaning is joy. Anandamaya Bhyasat. Brahman is existing out of joy, for joy, in joy, as joy. Then that joy reaches the pitch of rasa, ananda, rasobhai saha, and that rasa can be be tasted by us. So this so there's no joy in that. Therefore there's no meaning in that. So he's saying something very powerful here. That's kind of obvious. We can make that point pretty easily. But now, what about gyan? Okay? There's karma, and this means here we mean action in relation to things and acquisition. And then there's the gyan, the knowledge of the folly of acquisition of placing my name on things, calling myself the proprietor, hmm? identifying myself on the basis of my uh, attachment to things and so forth. There's this ignorance, and it's a cause of suffering. Hmm? So then there's this, this, this knowledge then, for example, knowledge of the Buddha. Well, to end desire and attachment, that will end suffering. He's right about that. Hmm? It will end suffering. Here, verse says that nice karmim api arjitam nashobhati. He says, it says that knowledge that ends and unties once and for all the knot of karma, which is bondage to this world, it unties it. That knowledge that comes from a systematic culture of knowledge of the self, of sattva. Hmm? Knowledge is of the nature of sattva, sattva gun, the culture of that. Hmm? That unravels the karmic knot. Hmm? That's a big thing, right? We're just talking about the problem of material existence. And uh, to unravel that, to stop that, this is what the Buddha is is, is teaching in a sense. This is what the Ganis are teaching. Hmm? Um, that to come to knowledge, what does it mean? What are the symptoms of that? That ignorance is ended and ignorance is 
attachment to things and the implications of that. Hmm? So one who has come to that, we would think they have attained something incredible, huge, a positive here. But really, the Bhagavatam is saying, you've gone from the negative numbers of karma and its implication to zero. I guess you could say there's a fullness there in that zero in relation to negative numbers, but nashobhati. He said, it's not very beautiful. It may be wise, but it's not pretty. Hmm? The beauty of the world is false, but nonetheless we're driven by it hmm? not to act wisely. Hmm? What is the power of the power of beauty, the semblance of beauty that the world affords is what makes it difficult for us to act in knowledge as to its ephemeral nature. Hmm? In other words, I'm chasing after beauty, but it's slipping through my hands. Hmm? That's wisdom, that it's slipping through my hands, but I can't stop doing it. Hmm? (laughs) Because I'm driven for beauty. Beauty means ananda. Hmm? Love. I'm driven by this. So knowledge in and of itself... Hmm? He says, nice karmim, that means knowledge that ends karma. Nice karmim, api achutta bhava bhajitam nashodate. If it is achutya bhava bhajitam, if it is bhajitam, devoid of achutya bhava, achutya bhava is bhakti. Achutya bhava, bhava means bhava. And achutya means Krishna, so bhava for Krishna, feeling for Krishna, love for Krishna. If that knowledge, which does have the power to untie the knot of karma, is not filled with, not connected with bhakti, or achutya bhava, it is nashobhate. Uh, it's not very pretty. It doesn't really, the Bhagavad Gita, it doesn't really have the power hmm, to enable us to actually cross over material existence. We'll untie the knot by that kind of knowledge, but it will be tied again. This is a heavy statement. To have gone so far, hmm, to come, just to come back. It means to come to the point of jivan mukti. Jivan Mukti means that one is liberated in this life, one is witnessing the parabdha, the manifest karma that is just playing itself out and not reacting to it. And the implication of that is when the parabdha stops, that atma goes, merges with Brahman, gets Mukti. But the clear teaching of the Gita, the clear teaching of the Bhagavatam, is that without bhakti, fractured into this jnana, there is no mukti. Hmm? Some people will factor bhakti into their jnana with the idea that it is, it is material, sattvic, and it has a certain point to be given up. At the point that they give up bhakti, they think that they're liberated. Hmm? Bhagavatam says, Yenye ravindaksha vimuktavaninas. Vimuktamanina. They think that they're liberated, but Avishuddha Buddha. Actually, they're not Buddhas. <laughs> they're not enlightened. They're not so wise. And Ariya Krishna Param Patam Tatha Patanti Adho. Patanti Adho. Again, they come down. They become a Jivan Mukta, but they never enter Brahman because they become offensive to Bhakti, this verse says. Now there are those that factor bhakti into their jnana in pursuit of mukti that don't think that mukti, that, that bhakti is material. They can get Brahman. They can merge with Brahman. If they don't offend bhakti. Many, many verses to support this idea. Mamamaya Krishna says, there's no getting out without my maya, without me. 
and there's no me without bhakti. So here, Bhagavatam is saying that gyan, however powerful it is otherwise, if it is devoid of bhakti, and a very nice word is used here to describe bhakti, achutta bhava, achutta bhava. What does achutta mean? Chutta means to fall. And now mean, and ah means here not, not fall. Achutta means not fall or infallible. Not fall. It's a very nice word to be used here because he's saying, without bhava for the no-fall position, like kuntham, <laughs> golokam, hmm? from which going there's no return, there's no falling. Hmm? Without factoring in the no-fall uh, uh, idea, <laughs> it means, it mean, it, what, it, what he's really saying is these people fall. Hmm? They have no regard for Achutya, hmm? who, who's from, from, in connection with whom there's no falling. Hmm? There's no falling even in sadhana. What to speak of in Siddha? Hmm? This is a very... Very strong statement also. Even in the sadhana, there's no falling. After all, there's something called anishta bhajana kriya. That means bhakti is so generous that one stage of bhakti is that bhakti that goes like this. It's actually going like this. Like those foothills that lead to the highest peak of the Himalayas. When you're moving along them, sometimes it's like I'm going down. If you look from a broader perspective, even the down slope is going up. It's like the stock market. It goes down and then up a little bit. And sometimes it goes in steps, right? It comes down a little bit and then go up. And you try to follow the steps and buy and sell at the right time, something like that. So, you always go up. It doesn't really work like that. <laughs> but there's no speculation in this path. Even the downs are ups. And there'll never be a full crash. Yeah. <laughs> Even from the downs, one learns. We find in the great in the life of great devotees, apparent down, like like Bharat Maharaj, after the whole of India is whom after the whole of India is named, and and he he, he became attached in bhava to a deer. He fell. This is Shobhana karma, of course. This is Krishna's arrangement. This down to teach and so forth. So there's no falling in bhakti. And at the highest point of jnana unto itself, there's falling for sure. Unless bhakti is factored in, this is what this verse is saying. When if you factor in the no-fall person, who has, who, who will embrace you, you cannot, he, he, if you wanted to fall, he would not let you. This is the nature of these bhaktivatsal. So if, if you wanted to leave Vaikuntham, he wouldn't let you. <laughs> this point is made by Baladev Gujabhusan in his uh, Govinda Bhasha, Anabhiti Shabdat, Anabhiti Shabdat, the conclusion of the sutras. He says, and going, and going there, there's no return. Anabhiti hmm? Shabdat, hmm. uh, by sound, going, never returning. Hmm? It also means by name, going, by the holy name, one never returning. Says it twice, Anabhutishabdat, Anabhutishabdat. He says in his commentary, if someone wanted to leave there, Bhagavan couldn't let him. Of course, it's just a what if, to stress the point. Uh, to understand, if we understand a little bit about the nature of praying, here is attachment to an object that's not here today and gone tomorrow. Hmm? And, and only in his full, but always becoming more beautiful at every moment. That uh, that cannot be given up. Hmm. So, he's saying, what to speak then of this karma, movement in the material world for acquisition, we know that's painful. Even this is painful. If this is painful, what to speak of that? Hmm? He says. Hmm. 
So therefore, this is an indirect emphasis, he's deprecating the path of, 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 of karma, the path of jnana. Even if you do nishkam karma, you do karma without attachment to the fr- fruits. If you don't offer the fruits to Bhagawan, he's saying that is useless. If you offer the fruits to Bhagawan, that will lead to bhakti. Hmm? But if it's devoid of bhakti, karma, nishkam karma, and the perfection of nishkam karma, which is said to be the untangling, untying of the knot of material existence, it's thought to be the end, that's it, I'm liberated. He said, no, you're not. Again, you fall down from there. From the point of jivan mukta, again, returning to, as Prabhupada used to like to say, becoming a philanthropist or, or something the high quality of sattva-guna life. Hmm? Try again. So very strong emphasis here on the nature of bhakti. It's, it's the idea is something like this, that wisdom, knowledge, in itself is not sufficient to turn us from the world which is a semblance of beauty that's driving us. So if the semblance of beauty is driving us so much that it's, that it's practically impossible hmm, to forego it in the name of wisdom. I mean, some people do that, very rare people, but again, if they don't acknowledge the nature of beauty, the, 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 um, that that the reflection of beauty, the semblance of beauty that is the world, has a source. I quoted Dostoevsky in Aesthetic Vedanta, it reminds me of this section. He said, what, one word of truth is sufficient to uh, drown the whole world or end the whole world. That's how false the world is, he was saying. And he also said later, in, in I think in the same speech, that, that beauty will save us so he had the idea, of course, that beauty, aesthetics, and so forth were a semblance of what truth was about. So the idea is that, well, one world of truth, one word of truth, one word of truth is that the beauty of this world is false. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But that one word is not enough, really. It's not very powerful to turn us from beauty when in actually we live for beauty. It's no wonder we're after a semblance of beauty. No wonder we're charmed by that. Hmm? Here, what this Bhagavatam is talking about here is this jnana, devoid of bhakti, is really a moment of sat. The chit in it is very insignificant. The chit, the knowledge, is the knowledge of the impermanence of the world. The ananda in it is only the Ah, the relief of no longer suffering. He's saying, he's saying there's no meaning to this. He means there's no ananda in this. Hmm? You understand? We, we, we exist, we're cognizant of the fact that we exist, and we exist for a purpose, and the purpose is to love. Hmm? That's the purpose of life. Ananda is the purpose. Hmm? He says there's no ananda. He's saying there's no ananda in jnana. Hmm? There's relief from suffering. You could call it ananda. Yeah. Hmm? But in comparison to, to, to actual, to, to praying, to love of God, hmm? there's no ananda. So he said this is meaningless. This is purposeless. This is... And you've gone so far to struggle, and it's a hard path too, as the Gita says, to unravel the knot and so forth. That hmm? you've gone nowhere. No, driven by the beauty of the world, we should be driven to to uh, to find the, the, the source of beauty that the world is a semblance of, and that's what bhakti is about, of course. And knowledge, of course, fits inside of that. Hmm? These two paths karma and jnana that our life runs on in an unsystematic way, as I said earlier. Hmm? 
um, they won't, they're like, I've said before, two tributaries coming from the, from the glacier that will never make it to the Bay of Bengal. If they join the Ganga, then they'll make it to the Bay of Bengal. Ganga means bhakti. This is this, you see, you find action, you find knowledge in bhakti. Both things are harmonized there. But action without bhakti, knowledge without bhakti, this is, this was, this is dry, will dry up. This will not take you the full course. This will not. Um, uh, this is this is the the bhakti is the change. This is a big thing. I said we have to change. The om is there, giving us affirmation. Yes, what you want can be had. And there's thousands of verses afterward that say, and this is how to do it. You have to change. You have to think yourself as an object in relation to the super subject and be used by him, just like you think of a thing and use it for your purpose. This is a very different way of functioning and thinking, very different angle of vision than what we have. Our present angle of vision is to use things for our mentally conceived purpose. We have to become like things to be used for his purpose. Hmm? But that is where the, there we find Ananda, because what is the nature of his purpose? What is the nature of Bhagwan? We study, we see. Hmm? Bhagavan and Bhakti, these go together. So, this is love. So, Gyan, Karma, without Bhakti, it is meaningless. There is no Anandam there. Achyukta Bhava Bharjitam. Bharjitam is devoid of Achyukta Bhava. And inside of Achyukta Bhava, the knowledge you need, that's, that's there. Liberation is there. Proper action. It's, uh, in relation to things, for that matter. You can relate, you can move in relation to things, and they actually take on life. You actually you excavate the meaning of all things, so to speak, by, by connecting them with their source. This is how to turn the whole world alive. That's why I say Golok is fully animate. So you can, you can animate the world, in a sense. Things. They're bringing in touch with their with their with their source. That means to to use everything in the service of Bhagwan. So that this is and it's, we were talking about this. I guess I'm harmonious. Some uh, Gorkhishan wrote an article about health and so forth. And people sometimes see like maintaining my health is one thing and bhakti is another thing. No, it doesn't have to be like that at all. And Brahma was creating the whole world, uh, and he was he, he was he was a kind of bhakti because of the way he was thinking about it. Hmm? This is taught in Brahma Samhita, so your whole life. It's an angle of vision, in other words. Pujapadrita Marsh, one of my godbrothers, asked him at the moth, said, Any service I can do? He said, No, try to change your angle of vision. Mm-hmm. Sound like a small thing? <laughs> That's the whole. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that. I thought I'd maybe do a little, pick up this, bring this here or there. You, know. yeah, you can go through the motions, but to change your angle of vision, you're on the altar. Hmm? You think, I'll play the Murdunga. You have to learn, Murdunga will play me. Hmm? The cartels will play me. Harinam will dance on my tongue. I'm thinking I'm doing, making a movement. <laughs> so, hmm? you think that Tulsi, the temple, the, the paraphernalia of the Lord, they're all permanent. I'm the visitor here. I'm trying to get permanent. I'm, I'm appeal, applying for permanent residence. I'm applying for a for a visa here, for a green card, for what do we call it? For a, for a love card, something like that. A residence. So this is a chutubhava, and from that, again, this is there's no returning. Here he's saying these other paths. This all paths return. All paths return. Hmm? Any question? Without Ananda, one will return. One will, that's we are Ananda seeking by nature. This is a, this is one of the constituents of ourselves, the the most significant, important constituent of self. We can. Uh, means to love to exist, as I said, and Bhakti means to exist to love. You tell me, <laughs> which is more meaningful? Hmm? Well, Sat is more prominent in Gyan existence. 
at the same time, in bhakti, while existence or sat and chit are less significant in the face of the ananda, still, the less significant sat and chit in bhakti are more meaningful than the sat of Brahman and the Gyanmarg. You understand? <laughs> because existence that is loving is more meaningful than an existence without loving. You can say, I exist, I exist, I don't die. I'm no longer attached to things that don't endure. I'm forever. It's huge. What a big existence that is compared to the narrow, narrow, small existence of attachment to things in the world of my mind, of likes and dislikes, that it's formed around that. It's so narrow. Hmm? And this is, by comparison, so big and so spacious. Equanimity, no bias, no attachment. Gyan hmm? is here described as, forgive me for going on, but niranjana, alam niranjana, niranjana. Niranjana means like spotless, it's pure, there's no bias. Hmm? If you're attached, you have a bias. You love me, but you don't means I don't love somebody else. I love my child. Yours is okay. But hmm? so this is <laughs> the problem. Hmm? But gyan, pure gyan, is niranjana. No 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 anjana, no no blemish, no ointment, no 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 coloring. Pure, white, hmm? like a crystal. This is gyan. And it is unbe- is unbecoming. Bhagavatam says, Narada says, this pure crystal is unbecoming. Hmm? Bias for Bhagavan, that's beautiful. Hmm? A transcendental bias, that's beautiful. There's an under in that. And the existence, as I said, and knowing, sat and chit, they are very much diminished in Ananda. We, this is, if we look at Krishna. He is, in an, he, is, he is Brahman in an existential crisis. Krishna is, 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 is existence in question of itself. Hmm? He looks at Radha, he sees Radha's love for him, he thinks, I'm supposed to be the king of love, I have some doubts. Bhakti is superior. I'm supposed to be the source of everything. I'm, the bhakti is driving me. Everyone's worshipping me. I'm after bhakti. Who am I? Krishna does not know that he's God. That's Krishna. He has omniscience. That's true. But it's suppressed by bhakti. It doesn't go away, obviously, but it's so suppressed by bhakti that he... The real Krishna is the son of Yashoda. That's who Krishna really is. Hmm? He's Yashoda Nanda. That, that, he's a, you know, mama's boy. That's who he is. He's the idea that he's the personality of God is not. That's not his idea. <laughs> that's another idea. Okay? He can answer to that idea. Yes, that's a, that's an inferior idea, <laughs> a lesser understanding of him. So, you can see that the Ananda is taking such precedence, precedence that existence and knowing hmm, are in question, but, there's, but, but there is an existence and it is a knowing and it's so beautiful. The Leela. Hmm? Even though the knowing and the existence is diminished by the, by the, by the power of Ananda, still that knowing, that existence, that Satanship, much more significant than sad unto itself, or the chit, the omniscience of the yogi. Yoga samadhi is about omniscience. This is their goal. So, Bhagavatam is making very strong points here, if you play this out. This is, in Vyasa's, this is, this is earth-shaking. This is, this, this, as you see, this will give birth to the Bhagavatam of Vyasa. This, this lesson that he's giving, this, now the next verse you'll see, he'll tell him. Now here's what you do. Sit down, meditate on Krishna Leela, and, and then the Samadhi Vasha, the Srimad Bhagavatam, that will come out. So nice. What else? <laughs> Any other thoughts? What's the time?
Okay, we'll stop there. Grantara Srimad Bhagavatam Vijaya. Oh, Nitanandaki Jaya. Good pray, Manandaki.